The scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It can be found on page 909 in the Black Bibles. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Mary Elizabeth, for reading that. Welcome to Christ the King. So good to see all of you here. I'm the new guy. My name's John Trapp, and uh, excited to be here with y'all. I was the youth pastor here at this church for six years. And then my family and I all moved to Austin. We were there for seven years where I was a campus minister at the University of Texas. They hissed me last time. I was waiting to see if y'all were going to do that. (laughs) Y'all were a nicer congregation. I appreciate that. Um, But I'm excited to be back here now as the senior pastor. Looking forward to reconnecting with a lot of y'all, to getting to know a lot of y'all. And I also just want to say a special welcome to those of you who are visiting us for the first time. We're really, really happy that you're here. We hope this will be an encouraging time for you. And the most encouraging thing that we have to offer you is to look at God's Word together, to see who God claims to be and how He's revealed Himself in His Word and through His Son, Jesus. So let's pray and ask that the Lord would help us with that. Father, we thank you that you have welcomed us um, to Consider who you are through your word and through your son. And we pray now that as we consider it, that you would help us to see the grace that you have for sinners like me, for sinners like all of us. Help us to see who you are. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the world loves a good ascension story. If you think about the books that we read, the movies, that we watch, the TV shows that we have, so many of them are asking this question, who is going to ascend to power? Who's going to ascend the throne? Or who's going to win the championship? Who's going to get the gold medal? We have these same kind of questions of ascent in our own personal lives. Who's going to get the promotion? Who's going to get the award? Who's going to get the A+. And in many ways, we imagine our lives as stories of personal ascent or climb. 
But perhaps you have experienced the problem of trying to ascend. Let's say you get an interview, your dream job. You plan, you prepare, pick out the perfect outfit, get your mind in the right state. And you go to the interview and you show up and you look like this guy. Yep, there he is. The black eye from a disc golf accident, those actually happen, yep. And the crooked tie, there it is, proving that college pastors have no business wearing ties. Yep, that's what happens to a lot. I mean, look at that. I can't believe y'all voted me in. You wouldn't have let me into your door if I'd knocked on it, but you somehow voted me to be your pastor. I looked like a creepy businessman or a kid who escaped third grade Sunday school class or some combination, I don't know. But um, is that not how we often feel after trying to ascend? Beat up black eye, crooked tie, or much worse, depressed, anxious, empty, beat up, burned out. This is why there are stories of Olympians who win the gold medal, and it's only after they win the gold medal that they find themselves depressed, not before. After they have climbed, after they have ascended, They find themselves empty. And this passage that we're looking at this morning, it's good news for ascenders. It's good news for people who never quite feel like they've made it or who are trying to climb to whatever professional or academic or moral, religious, social mountain that lies before you and find themselves exhausted empty. And y'all, Houston is full of ascenders. That's what we are. We're ascenders. But if Acts 1 happened, it changes everything. So three things I want us to consider. Grace for ascenders. Secondly, the ascended king. And third, so what? All right, let's go. Grace for ascenders. In this passage, Jesus ascends to his throne. But there's somebody else in this passage who wants to ascend. Did you catch it? It's the disciples. Now what's been going on? Verse 3 tells us that Jesus has been presenting himself to his disciples as alive. He's He's been proving over and over that he is resurrected. And not only that, but verse 3 says that he's been speaking to them about the kingdom of God over and over. He's been telling them what the kingdom of God is like. And then verse 6 comes along. The disciples, they've digested all of this and their conclusion is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? God, are you finally going to take care, Jesus, are you finally going to take care of this Rome problem that we have and give us our kingdom back? John Calvin in his commentary says, there are as many problems with this question as there are words in the sentence. They want to ascend to the wrong thing. They want to ascend to political power. 
That's interesting. The first ever Christians, and they're already jockeying for political power as the solution to their problems. That's interesting. That's like us, isn't it? If my political goal ascends to power, if I can get it just the way that I think everything should be run, then we'll be okay and I'll be okay. And listen, praise the Lord, I'm not Jesus. But if I'm Jesus in this story, and these guys are, are, are saying that to me, like, are you kidding me? I've been talking to you for the last 40 days about what the kingdom of God is like. And if it's anything like what he says in the gospels, Jesus was telling them things like, the kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure in a field. It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground beneath the soil that grows over time. The kingdom of God is the kingdom where the humble are exalted and the proud are laid low. The kingdom of God is where the meek inherit the earth. This kingdom where sinners are welcomed by a father who goes out them and greets them with a kiss. The kingdom of God is this way. I told you before that before Abraham was, I am. Listen, disciples, I told you that I was God, and now you're telling me what you think I should do. Are you serious? You think you have the best plan, and it's Rome? That's the problem? What about my plans? Again, glad I'm not Jesus, right? That's not how he deals with them. Instead, Jesus is going to help them reimagine how God uses power rather than how sinners use power. Power is not bad. It's not. But Jesus is going to shape their imagination for how God uses power. And the reason he does this is not because he's like brooding and wants all the power for himself and doesn't want us to have any and he knows what's be- That's not why. It's actually because he's good. That's why he's going to help them reimagine Because power in our own hands never gives us security. We can get power. We can't get security. David Zoll, in his book aptly titled Seculosity, puts it this way. He he talks about how this word enough is essentially how we think about righteousness, the biblical word righteousness. In our culture, it's having enough. Listen to how he puts it. Listen carefully and you'll hear that word enough everywhere. You'll hear about people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, wealthy enough, influential enough, desired enough, charitable enough, woke enough, good enough. We believe instinctively that were we to reach some benchmark in our minds, then value, vindication, and love would be ours. That if we got enough, we would be enough. Trying to ascend on our own, it leaves us wondering if we've made it. If we've gotten enough, it leaves us insecure. If you want to take my word for it, listen to Brett Favre. Brett Favre, Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the best who ever did it. I was watching an interview from him, and he's talking about his dad, who is his high school football coach. And in the interview, he says, my dad may have told others I'm proud of that boy, but he never told me I'm proud of you. I remember thinking a good job would be nice to hear. There might be 70 good plays and one bad one, 
and he would bring that one to light. A few years after he gave that interview, Favre was standing up at, in Canton, Ohio at the Hall of Fame induction, his Hall of Fame induction. His father had recently passed, and once again he began talking about his dad. He said, I overheard my father talking to three other coaches, and I hadn't played well the other week. My father said, I can assure you something about my son. He will play better. He will redeem himself because he has it in him. I thought to myself, it's a pretty good compliment. Again, I never told anyone, but I never forgot that statement. And then Far begins to cry. He says, and I want you to know, Dad that I spent the rest of my career trying to redeem myself. I spent the rest of my career trying to redeem myself and that make you proud and I hope I succeeded. Do you hear the insecurity of trying to ascend on our own? I hope I succeeded. I don't know if I did. How can I know? I wonder how many of you are here with that same doubt about how God feels about you. Have you done enough? Maybe that's why you showed up at church today. I'm going to start getting my life together, figuring things out with my kids, get their lives together. We're going to go to church. We're going to start ascending. We're going to start being better. We're going to start taking our faith seriously. We're going to start climbing. (laughs) This story is proof that that is not our hope. Because the disciples, they're trying to ascend and they fall on their face. It's instructive to us that the last thing that the first Christians say to Jesus as he's ascending is just wrong. They're just getting it all, they're just getting it all wrong. And yet, he, even, even though Jesus' last words to them, he's correcting them. He's not firing them. They're still his. He still works through them. He does this. He's correcting them because he's good. He's too good to give them what they want, which is their own personal stories of ascent. He's too good to give them that because he knows that earthly kingdoms will leave you with a black eye. And earthly kingdoms have plenty of crooked ties too, by the way. He knows that Jesus, Jesus knows to give them what they really need and it's his ascension. It's his reign. So second, the ascended king. Verse 9, Jesus ascends into heaven. And y'all, if this is true, if Jesus is ascended into heaven, it changes everything. It changes everything in our lives. It means, for one, that your hope isn't in you controlling everything in your world. Your hope is in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 puts it this way. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And by him, all things, I'm sorry, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds all things, the universe, by the word of his power. Jesus reigns over everything. Jesus reigns over your life, over the involuntary Synapses happening in your brain telling your body to breathe and your heart to beat. He's sovereign over that. He's sovereign over your death. He's sovereign over your investments. He's sovereign over your bank accounts. 
He's sovereign over your family, over your children, over your children's friends. He's sovereign over your blood pressure and your white blood cell count. Jesus is sovereign over your mental health. He's sovereign over your fears. He's sovereign over Afghanistan. Jesus is sovereign over Haiti. He's sovereign over meteorites and hurricanes and earthquakes and flooding and dating and pandemics. And yes, I put dating right there with natural disasters because it's 2021 and dating is hard. But Jesus reigns over it. The one who laid aside his crown in heaven, that king laid aside his crown in heaven and he took up a crown of thorns on earth. That's the king you want reigning over you. He took up a crown of thorns so that he could redeem ascenders who want to rule themselves. And he sits on the throne and he's worthy and ascended and the ruling lamb who was slain. There's no one else you want reigning over you than someone like that. Hebrews 1.3 continues, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus He sat down because his work is finished. He did it. He accomplished it, and he is seated on his throne, ruling over all things. And here's what's crazy. One of the reasons that you don't have to ascend is because Jesus already has. Jesus has ascended, and so you don't have to. And here's the crazy part. Ephesians 2.5 actually says, you don't have to ascend because in Christ you have ascended. Listen to how Paul puts it. By grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places. In Christ, friends, if you believe in Jesus, you have ascended. You are with him in the heavenly places. You have been united to him. That means that everything that's true about him is true about you. We get union with things, by the way. This is not a concept that's foreign to you. Let me, let me illustrate. When I was on campus at UT, I went to Vanderbilt. We, we, our football team never won games. But, and I was hopeful. <laughs> Side note, when I, when I left UT, one of uh, the students was like, hey, just so you know, we've lost more football games in the last seven years since you've been here than the history of UT football, so I'm glad you're leaving. <laughs> Brought my Vanderbilt stink with me. Sorry, buddy. But... If the tower was burnt orange, and I asked one of our students, what does that mean? Do you know what they would say? We won. Now, think about it. They didn't do anything. We won. They didn't do anything. If, we went to the Al- if UT went to the Alamo Bowl again, they'd be like, they went to the Alamo Bowl. They did. You know, I'm not associating them with myself with them when they do something bad. But when it's good, we're back, right? We won. Here is what's incredible about being united with Jesus. If you believe in him, you won. Everything that's his belongs to you. We aren't saved by our own ascent. 
We're saved by the ascended king. We aren't saved by our own willpower. We're saved by the power of his will. You don't ascend on your own, but in Christ you are ascended and seated with him. And it's all by grace. You don't earn it. The only way you get it is to ask him for it. Because he's the ascended king ruling over all things. Isn't that beautiful? He's not sitting back waiting for you to do something, waiting for you to get, you know, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps just enough so that he'll finally deem to show you some love. No. Instead, he comes down, and all he asks us to do is the opposite of ascend, to lower ourselves, to admit that we need help. That's what repentance is. Lowering ourselves. Asking for help. And Jesus always gives help to those who ask. Can't find a place in the Bible where Jesus doesn't give help to someone who asks. By his grace, we are saved. So what? Last point, so what? The Holy Spirit, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot this, through this study of Acts. But what Jesus is indicating and promising to send them his Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit not only unites us to Jesus and his righteousness and all the credit that we get from that, it, the Holy Spirit also unites us to his mission. This is one thing that is entirely different, by the way, between Christianity and all the other world religions. Because Christians believe that our founder, the founder of our religion, is still alive. Mormonism's founder is dead. Islam's founder is dead. Buddhism's founder is dead. We believe, look, verses one and two, it's different. We believe that the ministry of our founder continues. As he sits on his throne, the ministry continues through his people, the body of Christ. But here's the thing, the power that they receive, because he's like, you know what, you want power? I'm going to give you power. Look at verse 8. He's telling them, I'm going to give you power. But the power is not going to be to like take over Rome and beat them. The power is so that they can be a witness to Rome. You see where he says he's sending them? I just imagine, like, he's like, okay, I'm going to send you to Jerusalem. Sweet, hometown. And to Judea, great, we're from there too. And to Samaria, Ooh, Samaria? We hate Samaritans. Oh yeah, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives his disciples, he gives his people his power to be witnesses about the kind of king that he is with their words and with their deeds, with their lives we are called to be witnesses by the power of the Spirit. Christians don't try to defeat their enemies. Christians don't try to hide from their enemies. Christians don't become their enemies. Christians win their enemies. We try to win them. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, to love our enemies. Why would he tell us to do that? Maybe because we were his enemies. And while we were yet sinners, his enemies, he died for us. So what is it to, for us to be like Jesus to our enemies? To sacrifice for them, to love them, 
to pray for them, to give of ourselves for them. The Holy Spirit empowers, is going to empower the disciples, this like ragtag bunch of knuckleheads to become like Christ the King. Christ the King who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's who Christ the King is. What would it like for Christ the King Presbyterian Church on Silver Road to be like Christ the King? The servant king. The king who gives of his life for the good of others. How are we going to do that? Toni Morrison, she's a, uh, an author, won the Pulitzer Prize. She was asked, how did you become a successful writer? You know what she said? She says, the only reason I'm a successful writer is because every time I walked into a room where my dad was, his face lit up. That's why I'm a good writer. She had the smile of her father. Didn't have to ascend to it, didn't have to earn it, had it, could rest in it and, and be what she was made to be. Christians, you don't have to ascend because you already have in Christ and in him you have the smile of the Father. And because of that, we get to be like our Savior. We get to lower ourselves. We get to become like our Master who was a servant to all. Let's make that our witness to our families to our neighbors, to our communities, how many people have been hurt by Christians trying to ascend? How many people have we hurt that way? What if our church, what if we more and more could be people who descend, who humble ourselves, who become like our master who was a servant? Ask yourself, how can I rest in the smile of my father today And how can that empower me to serve the people around me today? Maybe ask your roommate or your spouse or your neighbor, how can I serve you today? How can I be like Jesus to you today as I rest in the smile of my Father? The reason we do this is because we have it and because of what verse 11 says. The King is coming. Just as he left, Christ, the King, is coming again. There's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of time before he comes again, before we see him face to face. And so let's be his faithful witnesses. You don't have to ascend. You don't have to trust in your own ascent. If you're not a Christian today, the invitation to you is to look to the one who doesn't require you to ascend, but who gave of himself so that you could be his. Let's rest in him together as his family. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you demonstrated your love to us through your son, who is your radiance, who shows us what you are like. Oh, Father, may we rest in him and may we enjoy your smile over us and live on mission in response to your mission to us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.